0: It is great to be in the churches. And I actually, as Serenity was talking this morning, I was just thinking about that, like how much of a blessing it is to be able to gather as a body, right? And to worship God together and even, even to explore scripture together. Sometimes in my mind, maybe this is a weird image, but I kind of imagine us all on like an exploration journey together every Sunday as we walk through God's word and ask, what does this mean for us? Because the thing about scripture, and, and scripture itself tells us this, it says scripture is living and active, sharper than double-edged sword. It cuts right to the heart of the matter. Have, have you experienced that reality of scripture? And, and sometimes I love that. There's moments where it's like, I need the reality of God's love to cut straight to my heart. Other times there's scriptures that cut straight to the heart of the matter for me that I go, oof, That hurts. As God calls me to obedience, or as God calls me to surrender, there's times that the Word of God is is hard and it's difficult, and so I love that we get to embark on this journey together. We've been walking through uh, the letter of First John, and today we come to First John chapter two, and I want to read just the first verse of uh, what we're going to look at today. This is verse three. John says, "We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands." And, and this week I, I was reading through uh, 1 John, both chapters 1 and 2, and I got to verse 3 of chapter 2 and I go, man, that, that just feels hard. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I get to a section of Scripture and it talks about obedience to the commands of God, I don't get excited and get all giddy like, yay, here comes the good stuff. I think commands, obedience, that, that feels difficult, and it doesn't necessarily feel like something that I get excited to talk about. And part of it is, I think, a tension that we feel culturally. I think the tension is this. As a culture that values freedom, the ability to choose to do whatever we want to do, the ideas of obedience and adherence to commands, it feels constricting. And John doesn't really pull any punches, right? He says, we know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. He says, whoever says, I know him but doesn't obey him is a liar, so John uses some pretty strong language, and yet to talk about obedience, to talk about commands, I think it raises this tension in us to go, how do we make sense of this idea that we're called to freedom, and yet obedience and commands, it feels like a stricture of freedom, and it maybe even feels transactional in a way that feels negative. So it's a question for us this morning of how do we make sense of what John is calling us to and recognize that maybe, in fact, that this obedience to God's commands that John is calling us to, maybe it's actually true freedom. Maybe it's actually true flourishing in a way that feels counterintuitive when we have thought about freedom as the ability to choose whatever we want to do. So maybe maybe you've had this experience as a child. I I remember four or five distinct moments as a child— where I had this thought process. And usually this moment for me occurred when my parents had asked me to do something I didn't want to do. So maybe it was my parents asked me to eat something I didn't want to eat, or they they, they told me it was time to go to bed at a time when I wanted to stay up late. And I had this thought process. Distinctly, I remember thinking, when I'm older, I'm going to do whatever I want, when I want, how I want to do it. I can't wait till I'm an adult, till I can choose how to spend my money. Surprise, as an adult, you have no money, so you don't get to choose how to spend it, right? I I can't wait till I'm grown up. I'm going to choose what I want to eat. I'm going to choose when I want to go to bed. Surprise, also when you get old, you're tired, and I just want to go to bed after my kids have not let me sleep for half a decade, right? But I remember these distinct moments of thinking, when I'm old enough, I'm going to do things according to my will, how I want to do it. And, and I had this first glimpse of freedom in my early teen years when my parents were gone for a long weekend, and they said these magical words, we left you and your brothers uh, money for groceries. We're going to be gone. We'll be back like Monday or Tuesday the following week. So it'd be several days. And it was like, all right, finally, we get to choose the grocery list for the week. So we took that money, and my brothers and I promptly drove to the local root beer stand and purchased 20 chili cheese dogs, right? Because We could. My parents were there to tell us no, we had the money, so we bought 20 chili cheese dogs and a gallon of root beer. We then drove to the grocery store and bought the only two missing essentials, which were pizza rolls and white powdered donuts. Why? Because we had the freedom, right? We could do whatever we wanted. Now, here's the problem. We ate almost all of that food that night, a good chunk of it, the next morning, what started off as freedom sure felt like suffering, Right? I woke up and was like, man, my stomach hurts. I feel terrible. This is awful. And then what I discovered was actually for my parents and guiding my nutrition and when I went to sleep, it turns out they actually had my best interest at heart. And the guidelines that they had set for me were actually for my flourishing and well-being. And the freedom I thought that I wanted, as soon as I had an opportunity to take that freedom, I found I didn't always have the wisdom to make wise choices at that point, right? So church, here's what I want us to recognize. The core truth that I think we have to take hold of is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is a call to experiencing true flourishing and freedom in Jesus. And what we think we want is the ability to choose whatever we want to do. So we can look at scripture, right? We can look at the words, ways, and wisdom, and the truth of God revealed in scripture, and we can say, well, Jesus, this, this feels constricting. It feels confining. This feels like it, it curtails my freedom. And you can choose to do life however you want. But here's what I've noticed over and over again. When we reject the truth of God, when we reject the words, ways, and wisdom of Jesus, and we do life on our own, you have the freedom to do that. But what I've discovered is that often we actually find ourselves deeper in oppression and bondage than ever before. Because when we depart from the words, ways, and wisdom of Jesus, we find ourselves mired in sin and in brokenness. So here's, here's my thesis today, right? Is that when John says, whoever knows him, keeps his commands, what he's really defining for us is a true place of relational connection with God and a true place of flourishing and freedom as we conform our lives to the words, ways, and wisdom of Jesus, So now all the questions, what does it look like? How do we do this? What is it that John's calling us to? So let's begin to flesh this out. As we do, I have to recap a little bit of 1 John chapter 1, because 1 John chapter 1 sets the stage theologically for 1 John chapter 2. So we cannot understand what John is calling us to in obedience in chapter 2 verse 3 without going back and recapping everything that Steve has walked us through for the past couple of weeks. So I'm going to try to summarize this in sort of a a succinct way. So the gospel core of John's letter that he expresses in 1 John chapter 1 uh, is about three key things. 1 John chapter 1, he's recounting the gospel and he's reminding the believers that he's writing to about the hope and the truth of what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. So I want to suggest to you that, that John frames the gospel in around three core things. Number one, for John, the gospel is about responding to the call into relationship with the Father and the Son, through the presence of the Spirit. The, the foundation of the gospel is relationship. Relationship with God himself. Now, here's how John says it in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. John says this, and he's writing to believers here. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Now, when John talks about what he has seen and heard, he was an apostle, right? He knew Jesus intimately. So he's saying, I'm passing on to you the teaching that I heard from Jesus himself. He says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, right? And he's inviting them into full fellowship in the body of Christ. Now, part of what's happening is there were two or three uh, dominant uh, false teachings that were being spread. And John writes to the believers to say, no, 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 hold fast to the truth. We want you to be in fellowship with us. But notice what he says next. He says, and our fellowship, the body of Christ, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, In 1 John chapter 3, John will say, we live in Jesus through the power of the Spirit, 1 John 3, 24. And what John is calling the people to is to recognize that as followers of Jesus, they have responded to this call to be in an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And church, listen, we we could read this introduction to the letter and you could blow right through that. But do you notice the language that John uses? He says, we have fellowship with the God, uh, our Father, and Jesus Christ. The word fellowship is the language of belonging. This is the language of friendship. He doesn't just say, you know about God or or you've been introduced to him. He says, no, we have fellowship. We have intimate relational connection with the God of the universe. This is a place of belonging in the presence of God. This in my mind is a profound truth that the God of all creation wants a deep and intimate friendship. He wants fellowship with you. Have you ever thought about that? that? That is one of those things that I never want to stop being amazed by. That even when I had sinned, even when I had rebelled, the God of all creation wanted a relationship with me so bad that he was willing to let his own son die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, that I could be in fellowship with God. And John encourages the believers. He says, remember that you have responded to this call to be in fellowship, friendship with the God of all creation. Next, as John continues his letter, he encourages the believers to recognize that in responding to that call to friendship and fellowship with Jesus, that they need to recognize that the calling of Jesus is a calling into a new life, into a new way of living. Listen to what John says in First John uh, chapter one, verses five and six. He says, "This is the message, the gospel, that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, there's that language again, a fellowship, a friendship, a belonging." And yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth, right? And here's the core of what John is saying. When you respond to that call and invitation into friendship and fellowship with the God of all the universe, he says, what happens is you leave your old life behind. He says, God is light. In him, there is no darkness. God is truth. When you step out of your old life, you leave darkness behind. You leave the brokenness and the bondage of sin behind. You step into a new life. You step into a new way of living and you are set free. And church, here's the beauty of the gospel. It's not only that God forgives us of our sins. The beauty of the gospel is that we are transformed, that we are made new, that you are no longer, and I am no longer who we used to be, but we are new creations in Christ Jesus. That ought to get us a little excited, right? I I can remember uh, growing up, twice I had to switch schools. The first time I switched schools was going into middle school, uh, going into sixth grade. The second time I switched schools was my junior year of high school. Super fun times to change schools, right? And, and I have these moments that when I think about them, I still like, they still kind of make me sick to my stomach, right? I, I can remember, and I hated this every time I switched schools, the first day of walking into the lunchroom, right? You ha- I had a tray of food. And I walk into a sea of people and here's the reality. I didn't belong anywhere. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a table to sit at. I didn't have a place to belong. And I remember just kind of feeling like, I guess I'll just sit on the edge somewhere where there's like really nobody at a table and maybe just eat by myself. I remember this one uh, uh, day in my junior year of high school at switch schools again, same feeling, somebody that I hardly knew, Kind kind of an acquaintance. They saw me walk into the lunchroom and they said, hey, why why don't you come over here? Why don't you sit with us? And I developed some really great friendships with that group of people who invited me into a place of fellowship. And church, can I tell you what that did for my soul when I had a place of belonging in a situation where I felt like I didn't belong at all? Here's the beauty of the gospel. In the middle of our sin and brokenness, The God of all creation says, I want to invite you in. I want you to have a seat at my table. I want to have close, intimate friendship and fellowship with you. And when you respond to that call, you leave behind who you used to be and you step into new life in Jesus. And John says, as you respond to that call, right, as you recognize that the call of Jesus is one of relationship, and it's to leave behind your old life, he encourages the believers in chapter two to renounce sin, to leave that old life behind. He says this, 1 John chapter two, verse one, he says, my dear children, I I love that language. Paul is writing to a struggling group of believers who are fighting off false teaching, and he says, my dear children, this is a, a term of endearment. He says, I write this letter to you so that you will not sin, He says, I want you to live out faithfully this new life that you've been called to. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. And that word atonement simply means that Jesus has atoned. He has paid the price for our sins. We're told that the wages of sin is death. Jesus dies in our place atoning for our sins so that we can be made right with the Father, so that we can respond to that invitation in relationship. Because a holy God cannot have close fellowship with people who are sinful. And yet in Jesus, as he pays the price for our sins, we are made righteous. And we are invited into this close fellowship and friendship with the God of all the universe. Right, so in 1 John chapter one, John wants us to be enraptured by these truths, that you have fellowship with God, that you are made new, that you are called into a new and righteous way of living. Now, here, here's the question, though. What does that look like? Like, we, we know and can see the truth of those theological statements this John is making. Now, the question is, what difference does it make in our day-to-day living? And I want to suggest to you that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, John shifts from theological teaching to ethical teaching. And by ethical teaching, what I mean is John is writing chapter 2 now to say here's practically and tangibly how you live out a life of faith. Here's the difference in the impact that it can begin to make. So what does this new way of living look like? And how do we live it out? First John chapter two, beginning in verse three. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble that anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I want to suggest to you that in this part of John chapter 2, verses 3 to 11, that John is writing to encourage the believers to embrace three core outworkings of our faith. And the first one that he calls them to is to be a people of obedience. They should be a people who are obeying actively the word of God. Now, this this brings to light the tension that we talked about at the beginning, right? Obedience and adherence to the commands of God feels like a negative thing, right? It feels like a stricture around our freedom. But for John, we have to recognize that the truth of what he's saying is that the, the commands of Jesus and being obedient to his truth is actually to experience true flourishing. That the words, ways, and wisdom of God are actually what is best for us, and for John, this is not a transactional thing. For John, obedience is profoundly relational. Right? We don't often think about obedience as a relational component, do we? We often think about relationship or uh, obedience as adherence or not adherence to a strict set of rules. And that feels anything but relational. But for John, he is talking in the context of fellowship with God. And he says, when you know him, when you really know him, you want to conform your life to the way of living that God has called us to. Now, I think we have to understand what he means by if we know him. What does it mean to really know a person? So let me ask you a question. Who who here has met a famous person? Anybody? You've met somebody you'd consider famous? Okay, maybe a few of us. So you, you might have, maybe you uh, had a brief interaction with somebody who's famous, saw him in an airport, saw him at a restaurant, saw him on the sidewalk somewhere, and, and maybe you know some facts about them, right? You've seen some social media stuff they've posted, or you've read their Wikipedia page. So you know those facts, and you've met them once. Would you say that you truly know that person? Probably not, right? Unless you don't have great emotional intelligence, and then you might feel like your best friends. But the reality is, if you've just briefly met someone and know some facts about them, you wouldn't really say that you know them, right? So listen, here's the thing. When John says, we know that we have come to know him, what he means by knowing, this is the language of friendship and fellowship. This is a deep and intimate knowing, right? This is a consistent, ongoing, relational connection with the God of all creation, John says, we know that we have come to know him and are walking in relationship with him when our life conforms to the words, ways, and wisdom of God that he has invited us into. And here's the thing. Obedience in this context is not obedience out of obligation. It is obedience out of desire to uphold the relationship with God. This is saying, I know God and I know him so deeply. I don't want anything else to inhibit my relationship with him. And so I will conform my life to the words, ways, and wisdom of Jesus. Let me see if I can make this a little bit more tangible for us. Uh, I've been married about 12 years, which is to say that I'm still learning everything about marriage, right? But 12 years ago, Lauren and I made vows of covenant commitment to each other. Right? We stood on a platform, not unlike this one, in a church, and we made uh, the sort of traditional vows, right? Uh, I'll be with you to have and to hold in rich times and in poor and health and in sickness until death do us part. And, and I always tell the couples that I'm working with, you're not just making a promise to each other. You're, you're, you're vowing your life, your character, your integrity. You are entering into a covenant relationship. That covenant relationship changes everything about how I do life. That becomes a key focal point in my, uh, uh, in my life and well-being. I am, I am forming and shaping and pouring into this relationship with my wife. Now, part of that covenant commitment is that I'm faithful to her, right? That I'm pouring into her for her flourishing and vice versa, her for me. So here's what I don't do. I don't wake up on a Monday morning and go, I really hope I don't cheat on my wife today. I'm going to try really, really hard not to have an affair. Maybe I'll get as close as I can to the line, right? Maybe an emotional affair is okay, but I'm not going to actually cheat. I'm going to try really hard to be obedient to this covenant command, right? That, that, that's not how I do it. And I don't look at my marriage and go, man, I could be a lot more free if I didn't have this relationship. No, no, no. Because I love my wife, I wake up and, and I want to have this thought process. How can I love her? How can I pursue her? How can I pour into her? Now, I I often don't live up to that fully, right? Because I'm human and I'm still striving for that. But the desire is I want to actively pour into her for her flourishing, right? I I desire that relationship. So I'm not even going to get close to having an affair because I am so consumed with guarding and protecting and guiding this relationship. Church, I think it's in a similar context that John is thinking about obedience, right? He's not saying that the word of God is this strict set of rules and laws and that we have to try really hard to uphold it. No, no, no. He's saying if you know Jesus, if you have encountered the life-changing transformative power of the love of God, you would want to guard that and protect it with everything you can. You don't even want to get close right? To disobedience because you love and cherish this relationship. So for John, obedience is not obedience out of obligation. This is obedience out of desire This says, I love God. And so I want to conform my life to his words, his ways, and his wisdom. In fact, listen to what John says. In verse five, he says this, but if anyone obeys his word, you are walking in conformity to the teaching of God. But if anyone obeys his word, catch this. Love for God is truly made complete in them. That word made complete means to bring to maturity, to be brought to its fullness. And what John is saying, church, is that our love for God is expressed in a way of living that says, Jesus, I love you. And I want to continue to grow deeper in that relationship with you. And so I will conform my life to the pattern of teaching in your word because I want nothing to hinder that relationship. And John says that is an expression of the maturity of love, not God's love for us, but of our love for God. This is an obedience, again, not out of obligation, but out of a desire to walk in intimacy with the God of all creation. So I want to suggest to you that first of all, John calls us to be a people of obedience who walk in conformity to the words, ways, and wisdom of God. Secondly, I think John calls us to be a people who are abiding. And by abiding, I mean uh, oh, living and walking in relational intimacy with Jesus. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He says, whoever claims to live in him, and that word live can also be translated abiding. Whoever claims to abide in him must live as Jesus did. And church, I think here is actually one of the core parts of this chapter. I might even say that this is the hinge point of this chapter. Because we we look at obedience, and and I think, man, to walk in conformity to all of the truths of of Scripture feels really hard and difficult. And, And I don't know about you, but I have the spiritual gift of making things more complicated than they need to be. In, in most arenas of life, right? A lot of things are very simple and I want to overcomplicate them, right? So I look at obedience and I go, man, obedience is hard. It's difficult to uphold all of the teachings of scripture. How can I possibly do that? And then John goes on to say, oh, if you want to live and abide in Jesus, you have to live just like him. Well, and then I look at the example of Jesus and I go, well, this doesn't even seem possible, right? It feels like a uh, way to give us this sort of like uh, way out there uh, example that'll never be possible, It's kind of like somebody saying, uh, if you want to be really good at basketball, you just need to play like LeBron James. Great. I'm never going to do that for a lot of reasons. Like that's, that's great to put out there, but what do I do with that information? But listen, here's the hope of this. John says, whoever lives in him must live like Jesus. This is not just an out there miraculous hope. This is the uh, uh, opportunity of every believer. We can be empowered to live the kind of life that we see Jesus living. And it's as simple as abiding in the power and presence of Jesus. Now, let let me flesh this out a bit with another of John's writings. In the gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus describes what the abiding life looks like. This is the gospel of John, chapter 15, verse three. Jesus is teaching here and he says this. He says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Is that we are forgiven, we are invited into new life. But here's the thing Jesus doesn't give us his word and say, try to do everything in their good luck. No, Jesus says, here's my word of truth. This will guide you in righteousness. This will guide you in freedom and in true flourishing. Oh, and by the way, Jesus says, I am going to abide in you. Remain connected to me and the fruit of faith will be born in your life. Not because you try really hard, but because you are abiding in the power and the presence of Jesus through the the relational intimacy of the Holy Spirit who resides in us. I love it that that God doesn't call us to obedience and say, good luck, but that Jesus empowers us by his grace to actively live out the truth of his word. And this is what I mean, church. I want to make it more difficult. I go, okay, well, I got to, I got to try really hard to do all these things. And Jesus goes, just remain in me. Abide in my presence. Foster relational connection with me. Make that a deep priority of your life. You want to bear the fruit of faith, Jesus says, just remain, abide, live in me, daily rooted and connected. So John encourages the people to be a people who are obeying, to be a people who are abiding. And third, I think in this passage, John calls the body of believers to be a people who are loving. Notice what he says again, 1 John 2, verses 9 through 11. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and they walk around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. You've probably heard this phrase. I feel like it's a, you know, popular cultural saying, but uh, it goes something like this. Hurt people hurt people, right? And the other end of that is loved people love people, right? Right? I, I want us to grasp what John is saying. Scripture tells us that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And again, like if you've been in church for a while, it's so easy to use religious language in a way that becomes so familiar that we stop being shocked by it. Do you recognize that when you and I were like, forget you, God, I'm doing life my own way, that God loved us so much that he said, I'm gonna kill my son. I'm gonna send him to, to be put to death on a cross for you. And not only that, Not only does God offer his own son as the sacrifice for our sins, but as Jesus is resurrected and three days later invites his disciples to him. Now in 1 John he tells us that the God of all creation who sent his son to die for us says, I want fellowship with you. I want deep and intimate friendship with you. And what John is saying, he's saying, it is absurd, church, when you have experienced the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ when we don't deserve it. It is absurd to experience that kind of love, to turn around and offer hatred to somebody else. John goes, there's no way. If you are that kind of person who has experienced the love of God and turns around and offer hate, he goes, you are blind and in darkness. But here's the thing, church. We're really good at justifying. We don't hate people. We just can't stand them. They're annoying. We know hate's a bad word, right? So we rationalize and we justify it all the way. But here's the thing. John is not calling the people to a neutral place of like, well, I'm just not going to tolerate them. No, he calls them to an active disposition of love. It's not enough to not hate. We are called to actively love. That's different, church. Let me ask you a question. Even as we're having this conversation, what picture of a person popped into your mind that you're like, "Ah, really, Jesus, right now? I have to think about that person? Do, Do I really have to be reconciled to that person? Do I really need to think about that person that I can't stand, that boss that I don't like, that person that drives me nuts? Do I really have to actively love them? What does it look like when you've stepped out of darkness into light, when you are being transformed and reshaped in the image of a God who is love? That becomes our natural disposition. Now, here's the thing. For John, this is ratcheted up another step for brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the immediate context here. Is there a brother or sister in Christ? Maybe they're even in the room. Maybe they're even in the building. Don't look at them now. But you're going, I just, I don't like that person. I can't, maybe you've got history with them. It is not enough to passively not hate them. You are called to be an active conduit of God's love, grace, and mercy in their life. And part of me is like, ugh, right? And yet that has made all the difference for me when I have encountered the love, grace, and the mercy of Jesus Christ in my own life. So here's our key takeaway, church, is that walking in obedience to the words, ways, and wisdom of Jesus frees us up to be a transformative gospel presence in the lives of others. As we are obeying and abiding and actively loving, you become a conduit and a means of God's love and of God's grace in the life of another person. You see, the gospel is about you, but it's not only about you. You are to be transformed and made new, brought from darkness to light, so that you can be the presence of God's light and love in the life of another person. So here's three things that I want to leave us with in terms of application. I want to encourage us us to cast off places of disobedience. Where's a place in your life that you have said, God, you can have all this stuff. I'm going to retain control of this one area. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your family. I I don't know, but it's this place that God has said, I want to have control of this area of your life. Would you surrender it to me? And you're like, Jesus, you can have everything else but this. Or, Or maybe there's a place in your life where you've just been downright living in disobedience to the word and to the truth of God. And even now you feel the conviction of the spirit. Church, let us be a people who cast off places of disobedience and walk in the fullness of God's truth. Secondly is this. I want us to cultivate relational connection with Jesus, right? This is the simplicity of abiding. And, and church, let, let's keep this simple. I, I, again, I think we often overcomplicate it. And, and I, I'm not immune to the same pressures and, and things that you feel, Right? I know what it's like to, to have a full day of, of work and getting the kids to school and to activities. And it's like some days we're not even home until like 7.30 at night. And we've been running since six o'clock in the morning. And it's like, I'm in grad school around three, like all these things. And what happens is I get to the end of the day and I go, oh man, Jesus, the last thing I wanna do is like read the Bible and pray because I'm just exhausted. And, and the lie that I wanna believe is that abiding in Jesus is hard. The opening the Bible and trying to pray, like it just feels hard. What feels easy is to turn on Netflix to melt into the chair while I mindlessly scroll through my phone, right? That just feels easy. It's like, "Ah, I don't want to think anymore. But church, believing that abiding with Jesus is hard and difficult, I believe is just a lie of the enemy to keep us from abiding in the presence of God. Because what I've noticed is there's never a time when I've just tried to abide in the presence of Jesus that I haven't experienced the fruit of that. As I abide with him, I find my fears dissipating. I find my anxiety lessening. I find my stressors softening. I find new courage welling up in me. that's not of me. that is from the Spirit as I abide in his presence. To believe that that is hard is a lie. So, church, let us be a people who make it a priority to abide in the presence of Jesus, and it can be simple. Maybe you wake up in the if you're a morning person. Maybe you wake up in the morning and you sit in a chair looking out the window with your coffee. It can be as simple as saying, "Jesus, I'm here. I want to be aware of your presence, and I want to be aware of your voice. What do you have for me today?" sit there for 5 or 10 minutes. Let's start that simply. Maybe you read one scripture out of Psalms. I don't know, let it be simple. Abiding with Jesus in friendship and fellowship is not hard and we want to complicate it. Let it be simple. And finally church, I want to leave us th- with this. Where can you be a conduit of God's love in the lives of others? No matter who you are, you've been blessed with this sphere of influence in families, in friendships, you're part of a neighborhood, you're part of a community, you have a workplace. How in those contexts can you be a conduit actively of the love of God in those places as we are a people who are obeying and abiding and loving? Would you pray with me? Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for John's boldness as he writes to the early believers. On the one hand, he gives them this great hope that you have forgiven us, that you have freed us from sin, that you invite us into fellowship and friendship with you. And I love that, Jesus. And I love the hope that that brings. And on the other side of that, Lord, is a changed and transformed way of living and being in the world. And I pray, Father, that in this room, that each one of us would be a transformative presence in the world that as we have responded to the call to be in relationship with you, as we have experienced what it is to be made new, to be transformed, to once again reflect the glory of you, Lord, that we would be a conduit of your love and your grace and your mercy in our homes and our schools and our workplaces and our families, Lord, in all of the places that you have blessed us with influence. May we be a transformative presence for your sake, Jesus that we might see grace and redemption flow forth and make a difference in all of our culture, Jesus. Father, we love you. We are thankful that all you call us to is abide in you. And it's that simple, Father. I pray this week that you would help us to be a people who cast off disobedience, who cultivate relational connection with you and who are a conduit of your love, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.